If you could ask God one single question, what would you ask him? Uh, imagine that, a face-to-face -face meeting between you and God, and you're allowed to ask him anything. Just one question, though. Uh, what would you ask? If it's hard for you to narrow it down to one because there's so many things you'd want to ask, try this. Try to just narrow it down to one single question that you would ask. What would it be? Uh, if it's hard for you because you're, you're not really sure there is a God uh, and the idea of a face-to-face -face meeting with him seems weird, try anyway. What would you ask if, if there were a God? What would you ask him? Uh, years ago, I was leading a, a retreat for about 50 young adults and I asked them that same question. Uh, uh, after asking that question, putting them in the place of imagining they could ask God anything, I, I divided them up into small groups and for each of those groups, I had a discussion leader. And they went off and started to talk. The group had a, a wide range of people in it. Now, some of them were young adults who loved God and wanted to follow him with everything in them. And then others didn't really believe in God. They were there because the person that they were hoping to, you know, find. You follow me? These are 20-somethings, people. Come on. <laughs> Use your imagination. Do you remember those days? I thought there'd be a huge variety of answers. Uh, I, we got together in the group and I asked the discussion leaders, what were the questions that folks in your group were asking? I was shocked at how almost all of them had the same basic question. Over 75% of those young people, it was the same thing that they would ask God. I thought maybe it would be, why do bad things happen to good people? Or how come there's evil in the world? Those were not their questions. Uh, one after another had the same inquiry of the divine. It was, what do you want me to do with my life? If they could ask anything, it would be that. To know the will of God for them. Now, you might think, of course, they're 20-somethings. They have no idea what they're going to do with their lives. That's what they are obsessed with. What's next? But in this room, maybe some of us might not wonder about that. We might think we've already got it answered, right? Or it's up to me to answer the question of what am I going to do with my life, not God. But I want you to understand that I believe it's my job as your pastor. Uh, and if you're not a regular here, I, I feel compelled by God himself to tell you that if you have a chance to ask God one question, you should ask him what does he want you to do with your life. And I'll tell you why I say that. Uh, the life that you've got, which brought you into this room this, this afternoon, uh, that's not yours. God gave you the life that you have as a gift. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, until you find out the purpose that God has for your life, you will constantly find yourself walking on paths that are uninspiring and empty. Uh, you'll find yourself deeply dissatisfied and you'll never be what God means you to be in the world. Because the truth about all of you is that God made you for a reason and he has a purpose for your life. He has a plan that he himself, even now, is waiting for you to discover so you can walk on it. Until you find that, well, nothing else will really give you what you were meant to have. Now, I know this subject of what's God's plan for my life can generate a decent amount of anxiety. Is anyone feeling a little like, oh, I've always wanted to find God's plan for my life and I haven't found it yet. Have you, you feel like that? Some of you do? Don't worry, okay? I'm gonna help you out here. And I'm not gonna help you by giving you my plan. 
And I'm not going to either, I'm not going to give you some test that you can take that will sort of reveal exactly the details of what God's going to do for you. I'm not like that either. But what I am going to do is very simply show you that in the Bible, there are many places where God makes his will for us, what he wants from us, plain enough. Uh, And we're going to spend time uh, just seeing one of those places where God makes it clear enough what he wants for us. And seeing that, will put you in the position of having to choose whether you'll go in the direction that God has made clear enough for you and what he wants. And here, I want to say this before we look at it. Uh, Anything that holds you back from going in the direction that God himself wants you to go in is not worth holding on to anymore. If you have to leave something or let something go to go on the path that God has you going on, you should let it go. You should leave it behind. And, And for two reasons, and then we're going to get to the text. First, It will be the best thing for you. And I know that a lot of you have it in you that you haven't yet been uh, who you're meant to be. And and God's invitation for you is going to come clear this morning. He's going to say, here's what I want you to be. And you'll thrive differently when you find that. That's number one. And here's the second reason. I look at all of you and I think of the great potential to change the world that we live in. And that's why God actually wants us to know what he wants from us. It's not just for us. It's for the world that he loves it's for the world that he loves in Guatemala, and thank God we got to go down there. It's for the world that he loves in Summit, or Chatham, or Springfield, or wherever you live. God is ready for his people to stand up and be what he wants them to be so he can bless the world in the way that he wants to bless it. Uh, let me show you one place where God's plan, God's will, is the subject under consideration, and then we'll take our time to see what God can teach us. I want you to look at this question up here on the screen. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? That was the question asked by a man named Micah. Micah's name in Hebrew means who is like our God. It's like an exclamation. That is, our God isn't like other gods. Our God is like nobody else. And this man, Micah, in his day and in his place, imagines a face-to-face meeting with God on high, who he calls God on high. In Hebrew, it's literally the God of the heights, the one who's above everything, the one who made everything in the world and all that's in it, the one who's transcendent and above all the heavens. Micah imagines, what would it be like if I were in his presence? And then he asks the question, with what shall I come before him and bow down before him? What would God want me to bring if I had a face-to-face meeting with him? Uh, In effect, he's asking, what does God want for me and for my life, for this life that I have? If I were in his presence, what would God want of me? Micah raises the question that we should raise. What does God want of me? He goes on after raising it to offer three hypothetical answers, uh, three potential responses to the question of what does God actually want my life to be about. Look at the first one. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? In Micah's environment, all of the religious communities, God's people in all of the foreign countries around them with their own religious practices, all of them regarded burnt offerings as a necessity to be in the right relationship with the divine. If you were going to come before God, you should bring some kind of offering. A calf that is a year old in Micah's day is the purest and holy, holiest religious offering that any person can bring. Here Micah is saying, does God require of me 
to engage in the perfect religious practices? Is that what God wants? Uh, does God look at my life and say, what I want for your life is for you to find the exact right religious steps to take and take them. Be perfect and holy religiously. Is that what God wants? Micah raises a second possibility. This is verse seven. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000s of rivers of oil? A ram would be an expense for a man like Micah that would be a once-in-a-lifetime uh, gift that he could bring. He, he imagines, what if I had not one ram, but a thousand? What if I had more than any herdsman in all of God's people in Jerusalem, and I chose to bring the entire lot of them there before God? Is that what God wants? Uh, a jar of oil would be an extravagance. He says, what if I had not only a jar, but a river, 10,000 rivers, and I brought all that to God? Is that what he wants? Here he's imagining, maybe God doesn't just want my religion. Maybe he wants me to bring things. And he, he envisions the most extravagant quantity of gift that anyone could ever bring. And he asks, is that what God wants for my life? For me to be someone who's busy gathering things that I can then give to him? The third hypothetical is by far the most drastic. He goes on, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He is aware as all sensitive people are of his own guilt. That's what transgression means. There's a line and he went across it. He knows about his own sin, the things he's done wrong and he wonders, is what God wants from me for me to give up the most precious thing in the world to try to make up for my mistakes? Is that what he wants? Uh, you may not know this, but in Micah's time, there were religious communities in and around Jerusalem who, who engaged in child sacrifice. They would kill their own firstborn to try to please their deity. Can you imagine? Uh, yesterday, my son was asking me, what are you preaching on tomorrow, Dad? And I told him about this message. And when I got to this point, he looked troubled. He said, Dad, I, I said, do you, think, do you think, Nate, do you think that's what God wants? No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> and then he said, he verbalized it very plainly, I would never do that. I think Nate was imagining what it would be like to be his own, a father himself. What does God want from us? You're never too young or too old to think about that. What does God actually want from me? The life that I have, am I supposed to do something with it? Uh, that's an important question wherever you are on the spectrum of faith to ask. If you're just testing the waters out, you should ask that. If I did get engaged with this God who's like no other God, Micah, what would he want? Or if you've already been a Christian, never stop asking, what does God want from me? Uh, Micah asked the question in his day because he looked around at the people who lived in Jerusalem and one thing was very plain to him. They didn't know what God really wanted. They had religion, and their sacrifices. They had their offerings. They came and gave money at the temple and it was beautiful because of it. Some of them engaged in all kinds of self-denial because of their sense of guilt. And that was good as far as it went. But when, when he looked at them, Micah knew they just, they just don't really get it. They don't know yet what God really wants. And I have to tell you, when we ask that question, I think the truth is often our answers are so shallow that maybe we don't have a sense of what God wants. Uh, God wants me to go to church every week and if I miss a Sunday, make sure I anxiously tell the pastor why I was gone because he's definitely wondering. And some of you have done that to me. It's okay if you miss. Like, I'm not keeping track. 
make sure that you don't say like maybe a dozen four-letter words that are sort of, don't say those words, okay? Keep that out of your vocabulary. There's a few taboo behaviors that you should not engage in. And make sure you stand up against these things that Christians seem to be against. And if you do something really bad, just feel awful about it and tell God and then everything's squared away. That's all that God wants. That's kind of what it often is. But I'll tell you, that's not, don't you know in your heart that's not enough? That that's not, that can't be what God wants. Now Micah, after raising this question of what does God want, he goes on to tell us. And he says it very plainly. Uh, before we look at it, I want to offer this warning, and it's an important warning. Uh, at this point, someone might think, okay, once I figure out what God wants, I'm going to know what I'm supposed to do so that God accepts me. And here is one of the most dangerous thoughts that I could ever be guilty of perpetuating, and I want to warn you against it right from the beginning. Okay, you must hear this. You are accepted by God because of what God has done for you in Christ. Because God gave himself for the world in Christ, you are accepted. Uh, what if I've got a lot of things behind me that are bad? You are accepted by God because of what he did in Christ. Uh, what if I know the right thing, but then I slip up and do the wrong thing again? You are accepted by God because of what he did for you in Christ. What if I used to believe and then I fell away? Can I come back? You are accepted by God because of what he's done in Christ. What if I don't even believe right now and, and the way I live, you don't know, preacher, but it's pretty ugly and I'm kind of like an enemy of God. You are accepted by God because of what he's done for you in Christ. The Bible says God proves his love for us in that while we were yet enemies of his, Christ died for the ungodly. You are accepted by God because of what he's done for you in Christ. Is that true yesterday? Yes, it's true today. It will always be true. You don't need to be anxious about making yourself acceptable to him. He's already loved you with a dying love. He died for you. And now the question for you, once you accept that, which I, I implore you, accept it. Accept his love for you. Once you accept it, then the question that you must ask is, what should I do with my life? What does he want me to do with my life? And I'm telling you, because he died for you, your life is his. And now he's just waiting for you to ask, what shall I do? And then when you see it and go for it, you'll have life. Do you see that? In December, uh, I was having dinner with one of the high school girls who ended up going to the Guatemala trip. And I was with her and her family because her parents weren't yet comfortable with her going on the trip. I, her mom and dad asked me what, what, what it'll be like, what, what kind of things are there, what are you going to be doing together, why are you going? Uh, her father had grown up in Bolivia, and so his concern was from first-hand experience of how dangerous those places can be. I told him about the protections that we were going to have together as a group. He looked at me very thoughtfully and then he was silent. And now we were all sitting around this table in this restaurant. He looked at his daughter. Her name's Hannah. And by the way, that video that you saw, Hannah was there. He said, Hannah, you should not go on this mission trip because this church wants you to go. You should not go on the missions trip because this pastor thinks you should go. You should not go on this trip because your boyfriend wants you to go. You shouldn't even go because you want to go. But if God wants you to go, you should go no matter what, even if your dad doesn't want you to go. You should pray and ask him. That's a good dad. Don't you think? Hannah prayed and she went. When she was on the trip, 
The first day, she began translating for me and for others who couldn't speak Spanish. Because she was there, we could understand what the people of that village needed in a way that we would not have been able to understand if she were not there. She connected us with some of the women of the village who told us we need uh, a medical clinic more than we knew they needed that. We began to listen through her to the needs around us. She brought a spirit and, and a kind of gentleness and, and simply put kindness to the high school students there who didn't know each other that changed the atmosphere of the group. There was an openness and a, and a graciousness because of the way she carried herself. She, throughout the week, day after day, was able to do humble acts of service for other people. And the fact is she changed the people around her and she reported at the end of the week being a changed person. The reason, this is why, because she found out what God wanted her to do and she did it. And I want to tell you, listen, we're going to look at Micah's answer in a second. None of you need to go to Guatemala to find what God wants you to do and do it. I mean, it wouldn't hurt, <laughs> right? Didn't it, didn't it change us? Uh, and I mean that, it wouldn't hurt. Maybe you should go next year. Will it cost you money? Of course, you'll have to pay to go. And the money that you bring will help build a building for somebody else. Will it be easy and comfortable? No. And I won't tell you the details now. If you want them, I can tell you later. Some of them are gross. <laughs> but you'll be doing what God wants and it's magnificent. What does God want? What should I come before God with? If I could have that face-to-face -face meeting with him and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What would he say? Look at what Micah says. This is verse eight. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God? That's a question. It's a question which raises uh, very clearly before us the idea of what is the good thing? What's the thing that God requires of us? If we could know from God himself what the main thing he wants us to focus on is, what would it be? That's the question. And he ends with the question, what would it be other than this? And the answer implicit in his question is nothing other than this. This is all that it is if you want to know what God himself has made you for. If you want to know the plan that he has for your life. If you want to see with clarity the path that he means for you to walk day in and day out, whether you're in Guatemala or Summit, whether you're at work or in your living room, whether with your best friends or your enemies, if you're with your neighbors, what does God want of me? Micah says right here, here's exactly what it is. Do not hear this as my advice. Don't. This is not the religious community that you've come to that has this idea. Micah presents this as if it's the word of God on high telling you exactly what God wants for you, what he wants from you. This is what he requires. You see that word there? It's not what God suggests or thinks might be a good thing to try out. Your life belongs to him. And he says, here's what I require of you. And then these three beautiful things. Look at the first one. He wants you to do justice. And I think it's quite magnificent that the first thing God says is not that you should think this way or feel like this. Our feelings are fickle, aren't they? Or believe this or make a profession and say that you think this way. Those are important things, but not the first thing. The first thing is that you should do something. And remember the warning. Do you remember my warning? Not so God will accept you. He already has. But now that he has, what you should do is justice. And justice is right instead of wrong. Justice is fairness. Justice is equity instead of inequality. Justice is using the strength and the power that you have, no matter how small it is, to help someone else in the world who doesn't have the power that they need. Justice is using the, the resources and the strength that you have 
to stand up for and defend someone who doesn't have the resources or strength that they need to take care of themselves. That's what justice is. Don't you know deep in your heart what justice is? Um, This is a real question. Do you know it? When God looks at you, that's what he wants first is for you to do it. And when Micah looked in Jerusalem, what he saw was injustice everywhere he looked. There were people who were really good at religion and they exploited people who were weak to benefit themselves when they didn't need any more. I'll be specific. You can read it in the book of Micah. It's spelled out right there. There were rich landowners who waited for poor farmers who had just a little parcel of land to be down on their luck. They would come in and say, you know what? I'll give you the cash you need right now. Just turn the deed of your property over to me. And it was a short-term fix for the landowner at a long-term loss for them. They could never get that land back because once the money ran out, they were out of luck. And now this rich landowner had even more land, even though he didn't need it. Do you know that kind of stuff still happens today? Do you know it or not? If you don't know it, you just haven't had your eyes open to what the world is like. There's injustice like that everywhere. It's legal, but it's not justice. There were many other places that that was happening in Jerusalem as well. Micah talks about it. There were judges who would take a bribe and then steer the outcome of a case in favor of the person who paid for it. Bribes. It happened then. There were priests who would tell people one thing, but then they would say something else if you gave enough money to them. In God's name, they were for sale. That happened in Micah's day. There were businessmen who had scales and balances that were false so that when someone came to buy a product and they put the little weight on there, the person would actually be getting less than they had paid for. Injustice everywhere. And what Micah said when he spoke on behalf of God to those people, which they needed to hear, is what God wants, first of all, for your life. His plan for your life is to become a person who does justice. In Guatemala, we did that with your help by turning a a slanted piece of land that had about this much dirt and then rock underneath. And the reason I know this is I was a part of digging the foundation in the first week into a school building and a computer lab where tomorrow morning, the kids of Santa Rosalia will go to learn because of you. Isn't that awesome? You did that. That's justice. Because when the government doesn't use the taxes to help the people, what has to happen? People from our country who have more than we need can put our money together and do justice for someone who most of you maybe won't meet. Hopefully some of you will. Justice will be next year going back because of what we learned from the women and building a women's center so that they can begin to develop businesses that will help their economy in Santa Rosalia so they can thrive. It will be building a medical clinic. It will be trying to figure out how to address all of the problems that are there, which we are free to do because we have relatively an enormous amount of strength for someone who's weak. And that's what justice is. And what God wants you to do is to do justice. Did you hear me? Now, you don't need to go to Guatemala. Tomorrow morning at your office, is there some unfair things happening at your office? You're like, yeah, I get treated unfairly. Okay, hang in there. Go and treat someone else fairly. Uh, With your family, if you have some strength and power, use it to help your younger siblings rather than to push them down. Or your aging parents. uh, Or whoever you're close to. With your friends. Every one of you is free at each moment to do exactly what God wants. He wants you to do justice. Look at your relationships and ask, how can I do justice? And then you will be asking how to do exactly what God wants you to do with your life. That's the first answer. The second of the three, God's plan for your life is to love kindness. And by love here, God means that your heart should be melted 
that your insides should want to draw you toward. That the nexus of your intellect and your will and your emotions should all be wrapped up in this one thing. And the one thing is kindness. In Hebrew, it's chesed. All throughout the Old Testament, one of the qualities of the God we meet there who is like no other God, Micah, is that God is filled with loving kindness. Some of you might have a version that translates this word mercy. That's good. I think kindness is better because it's more simple. Do you know how hard it is to define, what, define kindness? I tried to make a definition this week. I couldn't do it. But you know what it's like when you see it, don't you? When you see someone do something that's merciful and gracious and kind, does it move you a little bit? Uh, listen, there's a picture of kindness, chesed, the kind that God wants your life to be about in the book of 2 Samuel in the Bible. Now, some of you know the character David. Don't you know him? He was the king of Israel. David had a very difficult time as an opposing king rose up against him, Saul, and eventually David was victorious and then Saul and all of his men were thrown down and then there's a moment, it's in 2 Samuel 9, where David is thinking of his victory and of those he's overthrown and in that moment, David asks this question, is there anyone left from God's people, uh, from Saul's people, excuse me, to whom I might show God's kindness. And the reason he asks that is he's a man after God's own heart. He thinks of his enemies and wonders, is there someone that I can be kind to? Now there's a person uh, who's in his hearing and says, yes, actually, there's a grandson of the King Saul who's still around. Uh, he is the son of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth. That's a good name, isn't it? <laughs> um, some of you will know that uh, Dave, who plays music here, his wife is very close to having uh, their third child, and it's going to be a boy. How about Mephibosheth Macaron? <laughs> Doesn't that sound good? It's got the alliteration, right? MM. It's got op options for nicknames. Fibbo. I'm Fibbo Macaron. Uh, if, you if you like this, would you please push it on Dave? All right. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. That's what the Bible says about him. When he was an infant, he was dropped. And that means he grew up disabled. And in his environment, to be disabled meant exclusion of every kind. Socially, it was completely acceptable to push someone who was crippled like that to the margins and just expect them to live on the side of the road and beg. Everybody was okay with that. And religiously, and this is ugly, but religiously, even God's people had some rules. You can't come into the temple if you're crippled like that. It's awful, isn't it? David hears that Mephibosheth is alive still. This is the kindness of God. He calls his commander to him, David does, and he says, I want you to go and acquire all the land that used to belong to King Saul and that is going to belong from now on to Mephibosheth and you and, and your men and your kids are going to be responsible from now on for tilling the land, for bringing in the harvest, and for managing that property so that Mephibosheth never, ever needs anything as long as he lives. And then he said, go get Mephibosheth. I want him to come into my presence. Mephibosheth comes into the room. He falls on his face because he has been, always believed that a, a man of God and a king would never want to be in his presence. He falls on his face. David says, get up. Don't be afraid. Mephibosheth, I want you to come to my house tonight and eat at my table with me. And from now on for the rest of your life, you're going to be my guest at my table that's what the kindness of God looks like. You see it? 
And what God's will for your life is, is for you to love kindness. It is for you not to just be moved by stories like that, but to do it. To find someone who's excluded and invite them over. To use whatever, whatever power you have to be kind to the people around you. And I'm absolutely sure that all of you live in environments where there's not enough kindness. That's true, isn't it? And so all of you today can do God's will for your life by finding someone to be kind to. If you're walking your dog around the block and you see your neighbor struggling to do yard work and you come up and say, hey, I have an extra hour. Would you let me help you? And then they say, no, no, it's okay. Thanks for offering. I've got it myself. This was my story yesterday, by the way. I said, no, I've got it under control. Then you should say to them, no, I want to help you and do it. Help them for an hour. That's kindness. That happened to me yesterday. Do you know that it made me feel that the world was a better place? It was that simple. That man was doing God's will. You can do it wherever you are. You should do it in school, even if you hate your school. You should do it at your office. And don't ever think, well, I just work in finance or I work in real estate or I'm, I work with this chemical company. I can't do any of that stuff. No, you can be kind at work. Do it and you'll be doing God's will wherever you are. That's the second thing that Micah says. Do justice and love kindness. Here's the third. Walk humbly with your God. This also is God's will for your life. Uh, this last one is the most familial image. It's poetic. Uh, for a prophet to use the image of two people walking together is meant to depict what anyone would experience as an intimate and close friendship. Uh, to get around in the ancient world, you had to walk. But if you were going to walk together with somebody, if at the end of the day you were going to choose to go on this path with this companion here beside you and stroll along sharing uh, what was going on for you as they listened because you knew they would listen to you because they're walking with you. And then when you're done, they open up themselves to you and tell you about who they are so that you are enriched by getting to know them. What Micah wants us to understand is God's will for your life is that you would have that kind of companionship, fellowship, relationship with God Almighty himself. Not a small invented God, but the God who made the universe that you and I inhabit and take for granted day after day. The God who keeps your heart beating and your breath drawing in and out. The God who will hold you in, your, in his hands when you die. And all of us will. The God who who's, was before you and will be after you and will hold you together. And everyone that you loved and lost, the God who holds them, that God actually, his will for your life is that you should walk with him today. That you should leave this place and be assured that he goes with you like a trusted friend. And what he wants you to do is walk with him. You see the modifier there, walk humbly? That almost doesn't need to be said because anyone who knows that God Almighty has condescended to walk beside them is a person who will always be filled with gratitude. And you can't be arrogant when you're grateful. And what God wants is for you to gratefully walk with him to be surprised tomorrow morning when you wake up and you know that he's ready again to take you beside him and have a day with you. And to wind the day down tonight with the assurance that he was there, uh, ready to know and love you and ready to give you the purpose that only you can find when you're with him. And to walk with him like that, now look at all three of these. To walk humbly with God will mean that you are a person who does justice. 
wherever you are. It will mean that you are a person who loves kindness. And it means that each day and every day you will be growing as you walk with him. This is God's will for your life. What does God want for you to do with your life? He wants you to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with him. Now, you may have noticed when Micah said it back then, he said, he has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. But I get to tell you this morning that it's not just that God has told us, God has actually showed us. And the way he showed us, this is magnificent and it's earth-shattering, is God didn't stay the God of the heights In Jesus, God became God of the depths. He came all the way down right to where we are in Jesus. And what he did at every step of the way, God did this, is he did justice. And he loved kindness even though it led to his death. And he did it all in humility in relationship to the Father who loved him and gave him this calling. And now because he's done it for every one of us, we are all free to do it without any anxiety or stress whatsoever because the one who invites us to give our lives to him like that has already given his life for us so that through the spirit, we can every single day be exactly who God wants us to be without any pressure, but just in joyful freedom. And that's what you're invited to do. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that in Christ you have loved the world perfectly. I thank you that in Christ you condescended to come all the way down to where we are. And as a true man, every step of the way that you were just and you were kind and you did it all with humility. And I thank you mostly that you've done it for all of us who are gathered here so that we are free to walk with you in true life. May we never be confused about what you want of our lives and may we find creative and beautiful and inspiring ways to do justice and to love kindness and to walk with you humbly wherever we find ourselves today and every day, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.